I want to thank y'all so much uh, for being here this Sunday. I know it's Memorial Day weekend, and we have a lot of people out. We have some other people that have come in, whether it be family or whatnot, and so we're excited to have you here at First Baptist Ruston this morning. I want to start just by asking a simple question and asking for some participation. One, if, if you like to feel appreciated, will you raise your hand? If you like to feel appreciated, if you like for somebody to say thank you, if you like for somebody to say well done, I think... Everybody in the room raised their hand. If you didn't, my guess is either you just didn't want to or you're lying, right? We, we all enjoy feeling appreciated. It's just the way it is. Whenever a coach tells us great job, it feels really good, right? Whenever a parent says, well done, it feels really good. Whenever your boss tells you, hey, you're getting a pay raise, that feels really good, right? You're doing a great job. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is a moment, 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about this. It says, one day you and I will stand before our creator and we'll have to give an account for what we've done in our lives, both the good things and the bad things. And in this moment, we see in God's word, some people will get to hear this. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. What I want to talk about this morning is how can you live in such a way that you'll hear that? If you would, open up with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy this morning. And to really understand what's going on, we have to understand the setting. This book is, or this letter is very different than any other letter we see in the New Testament because it's written on Paul's deathbed, basically. Paul, as he's writing this book, he's actually in a Roman prison, which is basically just a hole in the ground. Um, where you just drop the prisoner in and you leave them there until you decide to execute them. And Paul knows he's on his last leg. And the way he writes this letter, you can tell it's just filled with emotion. It's filled with just the weight that this great man of God, Paul, the one who started a movement, who Christ used in such a great way, this is his time to go. And it's interesting, instead of sulking or instead of being angry or instead of questioning God, what he chooses to do is to write a letter to his mentee named Timothy. And we see he's already written a letter earlier, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. He's writing this to Timothy. And what we notice here is he's giving the last words to his mentee. In the first chapter, we see where he's starting to reminisce over the times that he and Timothy have had together. He's reminiscing and really just encouraging Timothy. But then in chapter 2, he moves from encouragement to instruction. And that's what we're going to pick up. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What we see here is, is really just a lot packed into seven verses. And we're going to unpack this, thinking about it in this way. How can we be a faithful disciple of Christ? How can you and I be a faithful disciple of Christ? This is the main point of what Paul is trying to say here. And he starts by saying this. You have to understand the purpose of a faithful disciple. You have to understand first and foremost, if, you're gonna, if you want to be a faithful disciple, what does that even mean? What is your purpose? Look again at verse 2, what he says. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. I grew up in the metropolis of Quitman. Many of you maybe have heard of it. And I went to a very prestigious school there, Quitman High School, right? If you know of it, you know I'm being extremely facetious. But I went to Quitman High School. And, and if you know anything about small schools, if you play a sport, you're basically forced to play every other sport. You know, you really don't have a choice in the matter. And so I remember whenever I was in 10th grade, my basketball coach, Coach Carter, came to me and said, hey, Merrick, you're running track. And I was like, oh, okay, glad we got to have this discussion about it. And so I remember I went out there the first day. I didn't realize that I had to wear Daisy Dukes and run in a circle the whole time, but it was okay. And, and so I got to be a part of a, a four-by-one relay team. Now, if you don't know what a four-by-one relay team is, basically you have four people. You're in 100 meters apiece. You pass a baton off from one person to the next person. They run 100 meters, pass the baton to the next person, run 100 meters, pass the baton to the next person. And that's how you finish a whole lap. And you try and do it as fast as you possibly can. Well, my junior year, we had an okay team and we were going to the regional meet and our goal was to qualify for state. Only the top two teams got to qualify for state though. And we knew Simsboro was going to be number one. They just flat out were faster than everybody else. They didn't even have to have any form. They just handed the baton and just ran. I mean, they were just fast. And then it was between us and another team to see who might would get second place. And I can remember I was the second leg, which means I was the slowest of the four, but I was the second leg. And I can remember looking at the guy beside me, and I knew this guy from Simsboro because I played basketball against him. And I was thinking, man, I'm about to get smoked, and this is not going to be fun. I need to take a good look because I'm only going to see his back once the race starts. And so I hear the gun start, and I'm waiting for the guy to pass me the baton. And once he gets close to me, I run. He says, stick. He hands it to me, and I start running. And to my shock and surprise, and maybe even kind of patting myself on the back while I'm running, I'm like, hey, there's nobody beside me. I must be booking it today. And I remember I passed off the baton, and whenever I turned around, I noticed the Simsboro guy wasn't even running. I was like, what in the world happened? I guess he was scared of me. No, I didn't think that. But, but I, I looked, and I noticed that the baton wasn't even on the track anymore. And I found out that apparently, whenever the first runner went to hand the baton off to the guy, he dropped it. After he dropped it, it got kicked outside of his lane. And if you know anything about track, if the baton leaves your lane, you are disqualified. It doesn't matter how fast you are. It doesn't matter if you have the best four men out there. Once the baton is dropped, you are disqualified and you no longer can run the race. And what I want you to hear is this is what Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, I've ran this race as far as I possibly can run. And I've handed you the baton. I've been faithful to entrust truth to you. You've heard me preach the gospel. You've heard the totality of this. He says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, now you must go and do likewise. Go and entrust to faithful men who then will go and do likewise. This is the mission and the purpose of anybody who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's to take this gospel message and pour into other people, to share it to other people, to give it to other people. And Paul wanted Timothy to understand this. And he modeled it to him perfectly. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He tells Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He simply tells Timothy, this is your purpose, to know God and to make him known. What this means for us as parents, you have the responsibility to entrust truth into your kids. It means that we all have a responsibility to look and see who beside us or who below us can we go and entrust this truth to and disciple. It may be one, two, or three people, but we all are called to pass the baton. The only reason that the gospel message has reached us is because the baton has not been dropped yet. 
And the responsibility is on us to continue doing this work. This is our mission. But I'll say this, you can't pass on what you don't possess. If you aren't a follower of Christ, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, if your life is an evidence of that, then you don't have the ability to pass the baton on. So it starts first with saying, Jesus, I want to give you my life. And then you're a part of saying, Lord, use me, use me. And you turn and you look and see, how can I pour into my kids? How can I pour into this person here or there? We are called to entrust truth to other people. So the first thing is we see the purpose of a faithful disciple. Secondly, we see pictures of a faithful disciple. We see a picture of a faithful disciple. Have you ever been in a conversation where someone is trying to explain something to you? Or you're trying to explain something to someone else. And as you're explaining it to them, you can tell on their face they're shaking their head yes, but something's not computing right. Like, like, yeah, yeah, I get that. And then you ask them, do you really understand? Uh Uh-uh, I ain't got a clue what's going on. Most women are like, I feel like that every time I talk to my husband. Yes, that is the look I'm talking about. I can remember my my wife, whenever we first moved into our home here, she had all these different ideas of home decor options. She's like, oh, you know, we can do this. We can do this. You know, Chip and Joe do this. We're going to do this, you know. And, And so she's looking around, and I can remember she's looking at me like, you see what I'm talking about? And I'm going, I have no clue what half of what you just said even means, much less know what it's going to look like on the wall. But she luckily had pictures, and she would show me, look, it's going to look like this. Or she loves to draw. Hey, this is how I'm going to do it. And whenever she showed me a picture... Suddenly I understood what it looked like and it made sense to me. And what you're going to see here is Paul doesn't have much time. He speaks in very quick, short statements, and he's going to give us three different pictures of what does it look like to live out this mission. Three different pictures of what does it look like to be a faithful disciple. And the first one is he says this, you have to be like a dedicated soldier. The first picture we have is that of a dedicated soldier. Now I want you to think of this. What do you think of whenever you think of a soldier? What do you think of? You think of of someone who's dedicated, who's devoted, who's loyal, who's trained, who's focused, someone who's honorable. And Paul is saying, this is how you should be in your walk with Christ. Look specifically at what he says in verse 3. Paul tells Timothy, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul's telling Timothy this, as a soldier, you know what you're signing up for. I don't know any soldier who says, okay, I want to go and I want to be a part of the military, unless they just want to be a part for the benefits. But anybody who really wants to be a good soldier, they say, I know what I'm signing up for, and it's worth it. And Paul is telling Timothy the same thing, saying, look, whenever you sign up to be a follower of Christ, you have to understand there is a cost that comes with that. There is a cost that comes with being a follower of Christ. But look at what Paul tells Timothy in in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says this. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the age even began. You know, the truth is this, is if we want to live a life for Christ, we have to say, Lord, I'm going to live for you no matter what the cost is. Truthfully, this is the essence of what the gospel message is. You see Luke 9, 23, a prime example. Jesus says, if anybody wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, 
and follow me. There's a cost to wanting to follow Jesus. It's denial of self, but it's also recognizing there's suffering involved. Now, I want to be clear. Paul, what Paul is telling Timothy, he's in an area where he could get killed. Fortunately, we aren't in that spot where we experience severe persecution, but we do experience opposition. We experience somebody maybe casting us out because we don't want to do the certain things they do because we say we're a follower of Christ. We may experience that we're not getting the promotion somebody else does because in my job, I'm going to act ethically. I'm not going to be unethical about it. We may see that I lose some friends or maybe I don't put as much time and effort and energy and resources into a habit or hobby as somebody else because of my convictions of following Christ. The whole point is this, is following Jesus will cost you something. Jesus doesn't say it won't cost anything, but what he does say is it's going to be worth it. There's much more to say about that, but for the sake of time, let's go on. First, he says, share in suffering. But look at what he says secondly about the soldier. Verse 4, he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This is pretty straightforward. He says, no soldier is going to not obey his commanding officer because he's called up in too many other things. As a soldier, you have one primary responsibility, and that's to carry out your orders. And what Paul is telling Timothy, the same thing, he says, look, your primary responsibility is to live to please God. And how hard is that for us? You know, we always have this idea that God's supposed to be first, others are supposed to be second, and then we are supposed to be last. And I think most of the time, if you struggle any way like I do, a lot of times I'm on my own throne. I live to please me. And then if it's not me, it's going to be others that are on the throne. And if it's not them, then maybe it'll be God. But what Paul is saying is just as a soldier lives to please his commanding officer, you and I are called to live to please God, not other people, not ourselves, but to live to please God. Now, what does this look like? Well, maybe in your job, maybe many of us, we take our job and we say we live to please our boss or we live to please a certain quota we have to meet or we live to make money or, or to receive a certain status so that we can provide for our kids. And our whole goal is to please our kids. Or maybe as kids, you do what you do. You make the grades you make, and it's your number one thing because you live to please your parents. Or maybe it's a relationship. Everything about you is to live to please your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or some other friend. Maybe your life is is to achieve the best status on a video game, which is a real thing, to achieve the best status in a hobby. The question is, is who are you living to please? Because the follower of Christ lives to please one. And that's Jesus Christ. And if we live to please him, we'll find that we'll satisfy our own needs. And even more so, we'll live in a way that honors and loves our brother and our sister. We can't merely just live. We have to live focused. That's why Paul says in the first letter to Timothy 6.12, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. In America, it's so easy to float in your relationship with Christ. Because while we might not get entangled in a bunch of bad things, we just get entangled in a lot of things. And before we know it, the primary thing is no longer the primary thing. And we have to be like a soldier, recognizing who are you living to please? So first, we have to be as dedicated as a soldier. Secondly, he says, Timothy, you have to be as disciplined as an athlete. Once again, what do you think of whenever you hear the word athlete? I think discipline. I think training. I think hard work. I think someone who's passionate. And Paul's saying, once again, be like an athlete in your relationship with Christ. Once again, it's a short verse, but look at what he says in verse 5. 
He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul and Timothy lived in a time whenever the Greek games were huge. And while he doesn't say a lot here, the point is pretty simple and pretty clear. Athletes who cheat do not or will not get crowned. Nobody glorifies someone who's taking steroids. I want to be like that person. Nobody glorifies someone who cheats to get their way to the top. And he's saying the same thing. Whoever runs this race, you cannot cheat in order to get the crown. There are rules you have to abide by. And there is discipline that's involved. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, in the same way, train yourself in godliness. Train yourself. Discipline yourself to know God, to know what he calls you to do. And then compete according to the rules. Live an obedient life for Christ. God doesn't bless disobedience ever. He doesn't. But he calls us to train ourselves, to discipline ourselves that we can live for him. Specifically, he talks in 2 Timothy 2.15. He says this. He says, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Y'all, we've been entrusted with something that's pretty amazing. I mean, if we say this is the word of God, I want to ask, do we live like it? Do we treat it like it's the word of God? I know for me, y'all, so often I, I read God's word. And I'm like, oh, I didn't get anything. Let me just go on with my life. And, and I just forget and don't think about the fact that this Bible says that it was breathed on by God. This Bible says that nobody wrote what they wanted to write, but that they wrote as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. If I really believe it, then man, what truths are there in this to unlock? Why wouldn't I want to know this? I tell my students this all the time. They probably get tired of hearing it, but we need to be reminded of things a lot more often than we need to be taught new things. Because we as humans are extremely forgetful. And what Paul is saying is one day, Timothy, you're going to stand before God and have to give an account for how you've lived. And for us, we have the word of God. God's going to say, how did you use it? How did you read it? How did you study it? How did you memorize it? How did you meditate on it? We have to discipline ourselves like an athlete would discipline themselves to run a race. Because this race is worth it. And it's not for our glory, but it's for the Lord's. The truth is this, y'all. Many people desire to live a godly life, but very few discipline themselves in order to do so. A faithful disciple of Christ is disciplined. He's dedicated as a soldier. And then third, he's as diligent as a farmer. Diligent as a farmer. Now, whenever I first said soldier, if you're like me, you kind of get this idea of someone who's a warrior. You know, I think of the soldier, the person who's going to go into battle, the person that's, that's trained and he's dedicated and he's been through basic training. They've been through officer training. They've been through whatever, and they're ready to go and fight. They're going to get the gold medal, the gold star. Whenever I think of an athlete, I think of the person who gets glorified, especially in today. They're going to get the shoe deal. They're going to get the jersey sales. They're going to get all these things. But then whenever you think of a farmer, I don't know the last time I saw a farmer have a press conference, right? So how are the crops? Your left side isn't doing as good as your right. How are you going to change that next year? Well, sir, you see what I'm going to do? Like you don't see that. The, the farmer is not glorified. The farmer's the one who gets in the trenches. And so whenever you think of a farmer, the only pictures that I can come through with is, is someone who's diligent, someone who's hardworking, and someone who is persistent. And this is what Paul is using the example of the farmer as, is this is the best example of perseverance and doing the will of God. Look at what it says in verse 6. 
He says, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. That seems pretty basic. It's the one who works the hardest who deserves the first share of the crops. But what's Paul saying? Paul's telling Timothy is like a farmer. Sometimes living for Christ is not glorified. Sometimes living for Christ is hard. Sometimes you're going to look around and you're going to say, is what am I doing? Is, is, is it really making any difference? You may say in school, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live differently than all my friends, but is it really making a difference at my job? I'm trying to live differently, but is it really making a difference? You may say, I'm praying for this person, but is it really making a difference? The truth is, is that the farmer's the first one to wake up, the last one to go to sleep, and he works as hard or harder than anybody else, and oftentimes he does not see any fruit of his labor until harvest. And what Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, work hard. Work hard. Run this race. Recognize it's not always going to be easy. There are going to be times whenever you go, God, what are you doing? There are going to be times whenever you say, God, I don't really understand. But he says, keep at it like the hardworking farmer. Paul talks about this in Galatians 6, 7 through 9. I think I have the verses for you all on the screen. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And hear this last part. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The truth is this, is we don't always see what's going on around us. But we can trust that God is working, that he is moving, and that just as the hardworking farmer gets the first share of the crops, if we keep at it, we will see the fruit of our labor. I heard a story a while back about this one guy who, who goes into an art gallery. And as he walks into the art gallery, he, he hears kind of a commotion towards the back of the art gallery. So he goes to the back and, and he sees this guy who's complaining about this painting. And he's talking about how this artist is this world-renowned artist and, and he doesn't understand what this guy is doing. He's being hypercritical. He's just thinking, I don't think this guy really knows how to paint. And as the person's walking through the art gallery, he sees that this guy is not just looking at the painting. He's standing with his nose on the painting. He's like, that's really odd. Why is he standing there with his nose on a painting? He doesn't really understand it. And he just hears the guy saying, I don't understand why the colors are like this or why the lines are right here. And somebody says, hey, dude, you got to back up. Back up. And then you'll see the whole picture. And he finally backs up. And then he understands what's really going on. I want to tell that story because here's the case, y'all. You and I always have our nose in the painting in this life. There are going to be times whenever you say, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. I don't see why. Is this really worth anything? But God's the one who has the whole view. And God's not going to give you or me the whole view because he says, trust me. Have faith in me. Have faith that I know what I'm doing. And God is always worthy of our trust. And so I want to encourage you as the hardworking farmer. Maybe you're in a marriage and you're struggling. I want to tell you, keep at it. Keep at it. Keep loving your husband or wife, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. Maybe you're at a job and, and you're wondering if it's, if it's making any difference you being a light. I want to say keep at it. Maybe you're raising your kids and they're going all crazy or whatnot. I want to tell you, keep at it. Keep being honorable and trustworthy, even though others may seem to gain for their lives. 
Keep at it. Keep living for the Lord. Keep praying for others regardless of what you see. Keep coming to church. Keep trying to pour in other people because you will see the fruit of your labor one day. So we see three pictures. The dedicated soldier, the disciplined athlete, the diligent farmer. And then Paul ends this whole part by giving us the posture of a disciple of Jesus Christ. The posture of a faithful disciple. Look again at verse 1. He says this, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He starts this whole section by saying this. He doesn't just say, hey, Timothy, be strong. Hey, Timothy, be encouraged. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What does he mean here? What is this? talking about. I heard one commentator, he said it like this. He's, he's telling Timothy, never forget who you would be without Jesus. Never forget where you would be without Jesus. And I think that's right, but I think you can flip that as well. Never forget that who you are in Christ has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with him. The task is not easy. And basically what Paul is telling Timothy is there are going to be times where you fall. There's going to be times whenever you're not entrusting truth in people. There's going to be times whenever you're not going to be as dedicated as a soldier. You are going to cower. There are going to be times whenever you're not going to be as disciplined as an athlete. There are going to be times whenever you disobey the Lord. There's going to be times whenever you are doubting God. But hear me, Christ's grace is sufficient for you. You do not find strength in how long you've been a Christian. You do not find strength in how much about the Bible you know. There's only one place to find strength, and that's in the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Every time you and I sin, it's a reminder of the grace that we don't deserve. Every time that you and I sin, it's a reminder that Jesus Christ paid for that. He knows everything about me, and yet he chose to love me anyway. The posture of a faithful disciple is humility. It's recognizing without Jesus Christ, we are nothing apart from him. It's only because of what he's done that we can be who he's called us to be. We talk a lot about grace as it pertains to salvation. Yes, no doubt, grace is what saves you. But grace is not just what saves you. Grace is also what sustains you. Because we all fail. We all falter. But Paul is telling Timothy, when you do, know that there's a God who says, I love you anyway. There's a God who says, I've paid for that. There's a God who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Today, we can find that same grace in Jesus Christ. And as we close, I just want to ask this. How do you need to cry out to the Lord for his grace today? Maybe for you, once again, you can't pass on what you don't possess. Maybe for you, you'd say, Merrick, I don't really have a relationship with Christ. That's the starting place. You have to start by saying, Jesus, I give my life to you only because of what you've done. Maybe today you've heard this and and you really need to think about how are you entrusting truth? Maybe you need to think about right now, what is one or two or three people? Maybe you can say, you know what? I'm going to pour into them. I want to encourage you to do that. Contact them afterwards. Ask them to have coffee. Ask them to meet. Notice notice the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. He calls him his child. He calls him his dearly beloved. Do you have someone else like that that you're pouring into? We all need that. And trust me, especially as a younger guy, to some people, to them I'm old, but to some of you, I'm a younger guy. 
I want somebody to pour. I want to learn. I know I don't have it all figured out. And trust me, there's a bunch of people that are in that same position. Maybe you need to think of a, people, a few people you need to pour into. And I ask you, are you as dedicated as a soldier in your walk with Christ? Who are you living to please? Maybe you need to ask for Christ's grace in that this morning. Are you as disciplined as an athlete? Maybe you've struggled with reading or studying or memorizing. You have to tiptoe before you can run. Start somewhere. We have more resources available to us now than ever. And we will be held accountable for that. Start somewhere. And maybe it's looking at the farmer. Maybe you feel like you're about to give up. Maybe you don't know what your labor is doing. I want to tell you, God moves even whenever we can't see him. And if we could step back and see what he sees, we'd know that it's worth it. Paul ends this whole book in a way as emotive as it could possibly be. He says, Timothy, my time to die has come. But I fought the fight. I finished the race. And I've kept the faith. Y'all, let's live in such a way that we may be able to say that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you know all of us. You know everybody in this room. Father, I just pray this morning that that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. Move in our hearts where we need to be moved. God, help us this morning see the glory of your grace. Help us this morning see how magnificent and truly wonderful you really are. And God, I pray this morning we would respond. I pray that we would respond. We love you, Father. And once again, we know that's only because you love us. Ask all this, Father, in your name.